Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Off the Bench with Scott Sattler and Jason Matthews, the show that covers all things NRL. Oh, and some other stuff as we play some of the best bit from this week on Sports Day. Uh, badge holidaying, uh, surfing somewhere in Indonesia, just taking it easy, uh, getting tucked into the, uh, stuck into the bingtangs and the, the Mia Goring. Good on your badge. Hey, on today's show, uh, during the week we spoke to, uh, well, ba- uh, Sats in an amazing interview with Headley Thomas. Uh, he, of course, is the creator of the Teacher's Pet podcast. We'll have a chat to Headley. David Campisi, well, we rang him to congratulate him because uh, 25 years ago, uh, inducted into the Australia Sports uh, Hall of Fame. We'll have a chat to chat to Campo. And Campo really does open up on his thoughts on the uh, on the Wallabies at the moment. But the big news during the week in the world of rugby league, of course, Des Hasler being sacked by the Manly Seagulls. And two-time Seagulls uh, Premiership winner Matt Ballon, who was coached by Desi Hasler, joined us on Sports Day. Fourth tackle gone now for Manly. Ballon, he'll go himself and get it over the line. Oh, what a legend. I won money that day. Did you? First try scorer. Matty Ballon. Yep. What, what, a, a, what an intro. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be the only one, Sats. I think, I think a few people I know got on me as well. I think <laughs> I was paying about 30 bucks. Yeah, you were. Did you, of course, Sats would have bought you a beer, uh, wouldn't have he, you know, as a thank you. But oh, no, no. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he has a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Matty Ballon joining us on Sports Day, of course, uh, two-time premiership winner with the Sea Eagles, coached by Desi Hasler, who doesn't have a job uh, this afternoon and tonight. Maddie, what was your first uh, reaction? Oh, I wasn't that surprised, just just hearing all the, the stuff that's been going on in the background down at Manly. I was pretty disappointed. Like I, I'm really close with Des. I like him as a coach and a fella. Um, I think he's done a great job with that club. Obviously, won the two premierships, and I think he's been involved in four grand finals there and, and played as as a player. So. Um, he does a great job with that club. It's a tough job to coach at and be involved with, um, but just disappointed for him, I guess, and I'm hoping he's all right. Matty, did you believe the decision about him is not a, really about his coaching style and his and his coaching history and his ability, but more about the board and management getting a, a lot more control back over the entire club? Yeah, I think so. Everyone pretty much knows that Des likes to run things, you know, his own way. And 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 I guess the history of the club, you know, you, you've got the, you know, Ken Arthurson, Bob Fulton, Des Hasler style of coaching. Like that's pretty much how I think all those all those coaches coach the the club. And um, yeah, I think that's what Des wanted. Um, obviously, the the club wants something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the way Desi coaches, and you know it's worked. It's been successful in the past, and he's you know had a lot of success this year. It was a tough year for the club. Um, I don't know whether that can be just put down to his coaching. It's probably a combination of everything. But um, but yeah, Desi certainly likes to have most of the control of the club. Why is it Manly? And I've said this over the last couple of nights, Maddie, that for some reason Manly, when past players coach Manly, like 
Bozo, Fulton and Jeff Toovey and Des Hasler, they get some form of success, but it never works at any other club. Why does it work at Manly? Yeah, I don't know, Sats, to be honest with you. I really don't know. I think it's it's a, it's a Manly thing. You know, obviously, um, you know, like you just said, there's great names of players that have coached there and played there and become great coaches. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's an intrinsic thing that's in those players and coaches that they just understand the, the environment at Manly and they understand the landscape and they know how to deal with it. And, Matty, would have the board or Scott Penn or whoever made the, the decision today, would have they consulted to players and... and and in particular, do you reckon they would have pulled aside the Travojevic brothers and had a chat to them before making a decision? Oh, I'm not sure. I really don't know. I think um, I was down there a little while ago and had a chat to Jakey and he wasn't sure what was happening. Um, so I don't know if they'd be, be consulted. I mean, the board obviously made the decision in the end um, and they probably talked to you know, the captain, Cherry Evans, and, and those Sandy guys, but I don't actually know if they, they were contacted. Knowing a lot of the players and the officials down there, Matty, could you sense that something was on the horizon over the last few months and it only sort of come to the head post-season? Could you sense something was, was starting to emerge? No, not really, Sad. Look, oh, I stay in touch with all those fellas in the club because I'm, I'm good mates with them. You know, some, some of their coaching staff like Stephen Hales and Chad Randall, um, the Travojevic brothers, Cherry Evans. You know, those guys are all good mates. They all have for a lifetime, so I talk to them just about general things and, and also about footy. Um, but obviously there was they weren't going very well this year and there was a lot of speculation in the media just let alone that, that you know, the job's under pressure. Um, I thought like the best he in that situation was very tough. Coaching them early at the best of times and then they had all the different drama off field and you know, the, the, the players um, uh, weren't getting probably the results and the, the coaching staff were under pressure from that too. So... I mean, all the indication is that he was under pressure, but um, but I, I sort of hadn't heard anything internally. How do you think the fans on the peninsula will react? Oh, I think I think they'll be you know upset for Des. Look, they obviously like him. They obviously think he's a great coach, and he's, like I said, he's taken the two premierships, so they'll be upset, um, and, and they'll probably be wanting to know who's going to step in and, and fill that, that job. And like I said before, it's hard to, for anyone outside of Manly to come in, but you know, I'm sure they'll do their do their due diligence and find a good head coach to come in to, to control that club. But And then the fans will get on board. Like they, they, they appreciate the work that all players and coaches do at that club. So whoever they get to come in, I'm sure the fans will be loyal and behind and support and, and give their best support at, at home games at you know, Brookdale or Four Points Over, what it's called now. Yeah, I know the players will be disappointed, but they'll they'll move on like, like players do. But um, do you think there'd be some clubs that are sitting back that we're sitting back seeing how this all plays out, Matty, because there's not many double premiership winning coaches that become available on the market. Yeah, well, it's, it's really late in the year, Sats, for a coach to be to be appointed to another club. You know, the Tigers have obviously got their, their coaching staff sorted into Shins and Benji. Um, you know, Serraldo's gone to the Bulldogs. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other clubs who haven't got a, a, a head coach to manage for next year, but, you know, I don't know. I guess Des is, like you said, a well-renowned coach. He's very good at what he does. Um, he's, very, he's probably in a niche for for um, coaching styles like we talked about before. He likes full control and he likes to do it his way. So there's not, probably not too many clubs at this stage in the year that would would, um, would take someone on like that. But, geez, I reckon he'd be a fantastic head coach for a club to pick up or a general manager of football. It just depends what Des wants to do himself. Mm. 
All right, mate. We appreciate your your thoughts around Desi and and his sacking at the Sea Eagles today. Let's talk about you for a sec. First of all, can you go and upgrade that iPhone four uh, that you're using at the moment? It is it, it's dodgy. You got a new job now, Maddie. You can afford it. You you you're, you're part of the main coaching group now at the Broncos. That's that's a great gig, mate. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm I'm really honoured to be involved and, and really grateful to Kevy and and you know, Cardi, the other head coach there and. Benny Iken and, and Dave Donaghy um, have been really supportive of me as a young coach coming to the club. So I've learned a lot and, and you know, brought a lot, hopefully, from, from what I've learned before under Des and coaches like that. Um, and I'm just, just enjoying the challenge of working hard at the club and trying to improve the place. There's a lot of these perceptions around Kevy and, and his coaching ability. And, yeah, you you know Kevy. You've worked alongside him now. and. And now you're going to be one of his assistant coaches officially. Tell yeah, us, is yeah. there something about Kevy we don't know in his coaching that we don't see from the outside that, that you see on a daily basis? Well, I, I just see a bloke who genuinely cares about the club and, and is very passionate about the club. You know, I, I've really loved working with him and got a lot of inspiration, I guess, for my own coaching and and for my own love of the game. And, and I was a, I played at the Broncos a long time ago in the junior grades. And, and you know, I'm just really... Well, whenever I coach with Kevy, I get really uh, motivated and, and enthusiastic to do extremely well. Um, I'd say that's one of his biggest strengths. Is, you know, he, he empowers people and he gives them plenty of room to, to show their own personality. Um, and, and he's done that for me with my coaching this year. He's had a lot of faith in me and put a lot of trust in me to, to come in and, and help out with the attack this year and, and do the bits and pieces with with players at the club that, that's shown a lot of faith for me and given me a lot of confidence. So... For me, I think he empowers people around him and he gives them a lot of confidence in what they do and, and, and that could be seen in that, that period of the year where we won seven in a row with our players. So, you know, that's probably the biggest thing for me that Big Kevy brings as a coach. Now, I've got no doubt, before we let you go, that you were the wrestling champion uh, at the Kingaroy Red Ants where you <laughs> played your junior rugby league at. But you're about, to, you're about to be the assistant alongside... Johnny Hoss Cartwright, a rugby league legend who claims he's never, ever been beaten in a wrestle. Will you take up that challenge? <laughs> oh, geez, he's a lot bigger than me, Sats. He's a big man. He's a bit older now, so he might have lost a bit of strength. But, geez, he, I saw him in the gym one day and he was benching, I think, 110, 120 kilos. And he could do that a couple of times. So he's got a bit of strength about him, the big fella. And, but um, I'm sure if he if he gets into me on the training field, I'll, I'll have a bit of a wrestle with him and try and take the prize off him. Yeah, nice. <laughs> You're faster than him, so yeah. speed's an asset you got, Matty. Use that. Hey, listen, thanks for your words. <laughs> re, re. Only just. Only, <laughs> only just. <laughs> thanks for your, your words around, Desi, mate. And congrats again on the, on the new role at the Broncos. Thanks for your time on Sports Day, Matty Ballon. Good on you, Jase. Thanks, Sats. This is Off the Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. Heinemann. Campisi. Can he get there? Beating Dacing. They won't catch him. Another Australian try. A record score against Scotland. Can he get there? What a stupid rhetorical question that was <laughs> by Gordon Bray. Of course he can get there. The legend himself, David Campisi, joining us on the line now on Sports Day. Campo, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for the invitation, guys. It's been obviously a long time, but yeah, I finally get to speak to you. Yeah, and I, I'm a little bit disappointed tonight because we're talking to you without our our colleague and co-host Gary Belcher in the studio. No doubt, you boys 
tore up Canberra <laughs> in the late 80s. And I'll get to that uh, <laughs> real real soon. Um, of course, uh, David Camp, he's the AM, was inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame in 1997 as an athlete member for his contribution, of course, to rugby. 101 Wallabies caps, mm. Sats. Incredible. And and from a Queensland point of view, and I know David's not a Queenslander, but there's going to be two more inductees happening this week, and they're Queenslanders. So we thought, let's get an inductee on and, and see and see what it's like to be in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Cabo, has it changed your life at all? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it must be that, nice, though. That was in 97, guys. It was, uh, it was a long time ago. But... Um, look, obviously, it's a great, it was a great honour. You don't, you know, as you know, I played most of my year in the amateur era, so there was, it was just really for the fun of the game, love of the game we played, and rewards. I mean, you, you don't ask for them. People nominate you, you know, you just go along with the flow basically. And if they, you get accepted, it's a, it's a great uh, privilege, especially see when you see all the, the other sports people in Australia that uh, actually made the Hall of Fame. Uh, that actually makes it, um, you know, something to look back on. And that was going to be my next question, Campo. It's, it's great recognition for what was, you know, as a leaguey growing up, you made me watch Rugby Union. Yep. And um, and that's a pretty powerful you know, position to play um, with a cross-code uh, uh, fan. Now, when you talk about some of those other inductees that, that are in the Sporting Hall of Fame, do you look across at some of those names and scratch yourself and say, well, and who is some of those athletes that you think, oh, I can't believe I'm in the same in the same room as those sort of people when it comes to, you know, being inducted in such a prestigious award? Yeah, look, I think it's, as a as a kid growing up, you know, I mean, I was grew up in Queanbeyan, 21,000 people. My old man was Italian, had no idea in sport at all, had no idea about it, just had his grapes and his chooks and veggies in the backyard and, <laughs> you know, went off and played league most of my life, uh, won a golf championship at 15, bit of Aussie rules, bit of cricket. And I ended up playing rugby, which was bizarre because going to a government school, rugby never really existed. And then you sort of, you know, you come up the ranks and you get the opportunity to travel the world. You meet the Queen, Buckingham Palace twice. You know, you meet people around the world, lived in South Africa, lived in Italy, you know, and then you uh, then you have a look at the, 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 the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and then you watch all these athletes and... And then you look and you're part of, you know, what, what they've been inducted into as well. It's, it's a great honour. And um, it's obviously a great... Um, it's just one of those things in life you you don't play for, as you know. You just go and play sport and, you know, it's just it's just something that you can look back and tell your kids, you know, that I was, you know, once uh, we, we won a lot of things and we were, you know, people sort of thought, well, you know, these guys deserve to be in a, in a sort of hall of fame and that's how it happens. You talk about some of those sports that you... You, know, you you played throughout your teenage years. What was the sliding door moment? Was, was there any sliding door moment? I'm sure you've told this story on a number of occasions, but just for our listeners that haven't heard it, of why of why it ended up being coming rugby union and not rugby league or some other sport? Uh, do you really want to t- me to tell you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. yes. Uh, obviously, uh, it's quite interesting. It's my nephew, Terry. Yes. Um, if you have a word to him, and he's exactly the opposite to me, so I'll tell you. Uh, 16, uh, played the uh, Rugby League Grand Final. Uh, there was a great uh, number seven called Stevie Hewson. I don't know if you remember. He used to wear boxing boots as a halfback. Uh, he was our coach. And we lost the, uh, the Grand Final, so they blamed me. And I said, I, I'm not going to handle this. Uh, the next year, went over to watch fourth grade rugby union. And I 
watch them after the game. I said to the coach, Janetta, uh, the fullback, and I started. That was it. That's it. Off I went. Wow. So that, yeah, that was in 1979. I uh, played for the Wallabies in 82. And uh, obviously been down in Queenby and uh, the Raiders decided to come to town and we used to play a game called touch football, not like now, with against Mal Meninga and the boys, and it wasn't touch. <laughs> it was just smash. <laughs> and there was a guy who had a moustache, and still has a moustache. I think it was Gary Belcher. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, you go back a long way, and there's the boys there. So, yeah, it was great to, to be around that as well. And it was just a, something, you know, just to meet all the guys in different sports, and you just get to know them over the years and... You know, it was just one of those things. Luckily, at that level, you you get to know and meet and you know become friends with uh, guys from other sports. <laughs> the Australian Grand Slam side that toured Great Britain in 1984. David, was that was that the greatest moment in your rugby career, where you went undefeated? Yeah, look, it was it was it was hard because coming you know starting in '82, going to New Zealand, playing the All Blacks uh, in three tests, and we we won the second test. You know, not many people have beaten the All Blacks, and I was there at 19 years old beating them. Um, and then, obviously, the Grand Slam. Look, you know, to me, it's just another opportunity to play for your country. I was so, so excited. I hung around the Ellers. I saw these guys think, geez, they're good. I'll, I want to be like those guys. And, uh, yeah, we, I think we were fortunate. We had coaches uh, that allowed the players to play a style of rugby. You know, as long as we had the skills, we could not do what we wanted to do, but we realised that we had to entertain, especially in Australia when you got rugby league and Aussie rules so dominant, you had to had to play a style of rugby that people wanted to come and watch. And and I think that Grand Slam sort of started and then obviously, you know, you got the eighty six uh Bledisloe Cup which uh the last time we beat the All Blacks at Eden mm. Park. And then obviously the World Cup ninety one. So it sort of carried on for about ten, twelve years and and unfortunately it's uh, it's nowhere near where it should be at the moment. What changes would you make to the Wallabies at the moment? And I'm maybe players, maybe uh, how they play, playing style. Um, is there anything, any improvements you'd like to see in the Wallabies at the moment, David? Uh, how, how long you got? Yeah. As long as you want. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I've I've been very critical of uh, Dave Rennie. Um, I still I keep on asking the question: Can he explain us? What style of rugby are we trying to play? Because we've got two good wingers who don't get the ball. Uh, we've got a good fullback, but there's no opportunities. And I, it's just, it is frustrating. I just get you know, so frustrated watching because these players have got so many good skills, but under pressure, they just can't handle... They just give silly penalties away. Mm. You know, And I think that all-black game in Melbourne sort of proved as well where... A lot of controversy about the ref, but if you look at the laws, you know, in that game, Foley was warned three times by the referee, and mm. you know what happened at the end there. Well, that you, sometimes you got to know the laws of the game as well, and you can't go blame the referee when you lose. Uh, you got to look at yourself, and then a the week later we get by, beat by 40. Like it's, we we just haven't got that mongrel. You know, I mean, you guys played in the day. I mean, there's some tough guys around, and every week they get just turn up and play. You know, you can't rely on last week's game to get you through the next week. And I think, for me, I'd really love to have an Australian coach because he understands our culture. He understands the way we want to play. You know, you won't get New Zealand getting an Aussie or a Kiwi coach, uh, sorry, or South African, or you won't get a South African getting an Aussie coach. 
but we in Australia here, we love getting co- coaches from overseas that doesn't really understand our, our way of playing. We've got some really good young talent, but, you know, I watched the Australia 8 versus Japan. You know, if you have a look at that, I mean, why don't they run the ball, try different things and give the guys the skills to be adventurous? But unfortunately, we're, we're in this, this uh, era of so much robotic play. You're told what to do. I've got my son uh, in my car now. We're just driving to Brisbane to... Um, for cricket training, and he played the uh, the Queensland Reds under 15 trials. And um, I watched him train for two days, and not one coach taught them anything. All they did was tell them how to play. There was no, this is what you should be doing. Are you happy here? I just noticed you run the wrong ang- wrong run in the wrong angle. But there's no coaching. They just stand there and just tell you how to play. That's it. Have we got the players, Campo? Have we got the players to be able to execute that style of play? Not, not anymore. I think player education is the biggest problem. That we've, we, we haven't had coaches going around coaching coaches. Mm. Um, and the players, you know, I can name a couple of players, but I won't. And some of them, the skill factor, I mean, really, you, you need to have better skills to play at that top level. And it is frustrating when you watch. And, you know, it's about team. When you get to an international level, everyone's got to be on the same uh, page. Everyone's got to think the same. And you've got to start helping each other out. It's not about individuals at that level, you know. It's about trying to do your best for your country and, and you're playing for all the supporters and and uh, all the fans at home who, who love the game. Now, before we let you go, uh, one of the great spectacles in, in rugby union over many, many decades, of course, has been the All Blacks' Harker. Now, 2011, uh, the, the final against France, they they challenged the Harker with their, their arrow formation and now we see the... The Wallabies starting to form what they call a boomerang now as the Harker is being performed. Um, many have criticised Australia. Many have applauded it. What do you think? Do you think it's it's play on, fair game? Yeah, look, I think I've I, I, I played the All Blacks 29 times, so I faced it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And 2091 World Cup, I actually didn't face the Harker. I was kicking the ball around in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup because we weren't told what we should do. You know, the, the coach said, listen, just go, if you feel comfortable, do something, do something, so I'll kick the ball around. Look, I think it's great for the game. People want to see it. But I really think the All Blacks have got to either do it at home, um, not away, because even in Australia, if you do the Harker, I mean, there's more Kiwis watching the game than bloody Australians. So mm. it's actually like a home game to them. Um, so, look, if people want to do whatever they want to do, great. I think that Australia did it because England did it in the World Cup 2019 and beat uh, New Zealand. So I think everyone's trying different things. Mate, the only way to beat the All Blacks is give 80 minutes of your best rugby and at the end of the game, make sure you're, you're in front of them. That's the only way you're going to beat them. It's not going to be because you do a boomerang. <laughs> David Campisi, we could talk to you all night. We wanted to say congratulations on being inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. We're 25 years late. Uh, we're a bit slow around these parts. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and and we wish we wish those being inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame uh, tomorrow at the Royal Queensland Golf Club. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for your time on Sports Day, mate. You're welcome, guys. Anytime. This is Off the Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off The Bench NRL.
uh, timely that we uh, play a little bit of Murder, She Wrote type music. That's to get us ready for our guest tonight. Uh, he's a journalist, investigative journalist at The Australian. Uh, Australia's most famous podcast journalist. He's got The Teacher's Pet, The Teacher's Trial, The Night Driver, Shandy Story and so on. He's won seven Walkley Awards. Seven Walkleys. Yeah, two gold Walkleys. And no doubt he is the smartest guest we have ever had on this show. He's our Angela Lansbury. Nobody else's. Headley Thomas, welcome to Sports Day. Hey, thanks so much. I thought you were going to compare me to Maxwell Smart. (laughs) We could do that. All right, let's start again. (laughs) Actually, who did you want him to from Moonlighting? Yeah, Sybil Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so we like to do things a little bit differently here, Headley. Hey, thanks for joining us on Sports Day. Many might be thinking, why is Headley Thomas coming on? Because what's the sports uh, attachment to this? And we had some. Some of our listeners last night, which I text you through some of their feedback about how much they love your podcast, and most notably the Teacher's Pet, which the link to sport is, of course, uh, only a few weeks ago, the the, um, the guilty verdict upon Chris Dawson in the disappearance and murder of his, his first wife, Lynn Dawson. So um, I suppose for you coming on the show, and, and our listeners are a big fans of yours, and that podcast itself, why that case? How did it come to your attention, that that matter, that disappearance of Lynn Dawson? You and I share an interest in that case, Scott, because you were for a while uh, looking at you know Chris and Paul Dawson as senior teachers at Coombabar State High. I didn't know them when I went to Kebra Park, but they were there the year after I left. And the disappearance of Chris's wife, Lynn, had intrigued me since 2001 when I first heard about it and reported on it. And I just come 2018 really wanted to get my teeth into it I I started investigating it at the end of 2017 I spent about six months uh, looking through thousands of pages of documents traveling to Sydney and Newcastle and up to Harvey Bay where I interviewed Chris's uh, eldest daughter Chanel uh, who's just been on 60 Minutes Mm. and uh, the more I got into it the more I believed that Chris Dawson had got away with murder and I just wanted to try to present a story that would unearth new facts and new witnesses and hopefully help motivate authorities to do what I reckon they should have done many, many years ago and put him on trial. Well, the depth of your investigation and, and uh, the gathering of evidence was, was second to none. And when you, you talk about back in 1982 when Lynn disappeared, Lynn Dawson, was it a flawed, was it flawed based on the the Chris Dawson being a recognised sportsman at the time and he had this great ability to convince detectives. Maybe, or weren't detectives in awe of him, do you think, back then? And hence why there wasn't a thorough investigation, Headley? Mate, I think both of those uh, matters were in play. Chris and Paul Dawson were not just great footballers. They had profiles as celebrities and it was the twin factor. They were also um, models. They were... Uh, burgeoning, they had they had burgeoning careers as models. You can go back and look at some of the things they were in. For example, remember the old um, corn chips ad, mm. you know, where they'd say just say CC. Mm. And you can look at the stuff on YouTube, and there they are uh, presenting themselves, and they they had significant profiles, but they were also playing still in the early 80s, uh, late 70s for the Belrose Eagles, which was the club on the Northern Beaches. And that club's senior patron and 
president was a senior manly detective. Uh, the Dawsons knew other police. And I think in, at that time, police and footballers had a much stronger relationship. There was a bit of, um, I suppose, you know, wink and a nudge with a lot of the you know, sorts of things that were going on at that time. I'm not suggesting for a minute that police believed that Chris Dawson killed his wife, Lynn, and deliberately turned a blind eye. I don't think that it would be anything like that. I just reckon that because of who he was and because of their profiles, they got an easier run. They didn't come under the scrutiny. There wouldn't have been um, as much suspicion that might fall, for example, on... uh, you know, a, a, a plumber who, you know, had no profile and wasn't famous for anything. Well, with all that evidence, it's amazing. With, that, with all that evidence, was there? did you feel at any stage during the trial that it wasn't going to be enough? Mate, I believed that the case against Chris Dawson, circumstantially, was really strong. And you and I, I remember talked about this at different times and I expressed my view and I think you were, you know, more open-minded than I was because I had probably just been exposed to it directly for a bit longer and had formed a fixed view. But I felt that if it were prosecuted professionally and the judge would uh, understand and follow the evidence, that it was a really compelling, strong case and that the lies Chris Dawson told and the circumstances surrounding Lynn just suddenly disappearing after marriage counselling in which she said, and he said, it went so well, you know, the marriage is back on track. And then the next day she just disappears wearing a pair of pink shorts and, uh, and leaving behind her jewellery and all of her clothes and all of her possessions and never returning to a house with 250 grand or the children. Uh, while you know he has uh, put in her bed his um, former schoolgirl lover, like all of that just was so damning. It just flies in the face of you know human behaviour and what is um, you know I think reasonable. And, it, and so you know the case was very well prosecuted. I think the judge was quite brilliant, and he seemed to come to grips with a huge amount of evidence in a relatively short time and then in his judgment went through it in such clever, granular and precise detail that, uh, you know, the guilty verdict was inevitable. Now, I've never asked you this question, so I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Lynn's body has never been found mm-hmm. and it, it points towards someone who knows how to dispose of a body for it never to be found after 40 years. Was there ever a belief that he may have been assisted? Yes. And when he was charged with murder, the charge actually uh, leaves open the possibility that he killed Lynn with the assistance of others. Could be one or more. And that question, of course, may never be really answered because I think Chris Dawson's unlikely to ever confess where she is and whether he was helped. Uh, I believe that uh, he definitely had contacts who could have helped him. He could have done it on his own. My personal view, Scott, is that Chris Dawson killed Lynn and that 
he probably got help with disposing of her body, but we don't have the evidence of that. Mm. Now, with the incoming nobody, no parole, New South Wales. The reason I think... Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off there, mate. I was just going to say, one of the reasons that I believe Chris Dawson did the murder himself is because he is not a trusting person. He would have taken a massive risk, even with a professional hitman, to have killed Lynn. He also, I believe, would have been not wanting to spend money that he didn't have, that he could ill afford if he could do it himself. And I think that there's a very interesting part of the evidence where Lynn's mother, Helena Sims, when reflecting on the phone call that she'd had from Lynn on the Friday night, bearing in mind that um, Lynn's probably killed on the Friday night or the, or the Saturday morning, but on the Friday night, Helena wants to talk to her daughter and Chris answers the phone up at Bayview. Helena's at Clovelly. And Helena says, Chris, um, how did it all go? And he's talking about the marriage counselling and, and he was fine. And he said, okay, can I talk to Lynn? She, she didn't come onto the phone. He didn't want her to come onto the phone. And she pressed him and said, no, I want to talk to my daughter. And so Lynn came on the phone. And that's when Lynn was talking about how marriage counselling went really well. Please tell Greg, Phil and Pat, her siblings, that everything's fine. We're back on track. Um, they got a marriage counselling holding hands that afternoon. The staff in the childcare centre saw that. And Helena noticed that Lynn sounded a bit, you know, well drunk. But it wasn't like Lynn because she wasn't a drinker. And Helena said, oh, you sound half sozzled to her daughter. It's that lovely expression, sozzled. And uh, Lynn had said, oh, yes, Chris has just made me a lovely drink. Now, um, you know, was there something in that drink that caused Lynn to then be um, unconscious or compliant, sedated? Was was there a you know some kind of um, um, sleeping um, potion or tablet in there? You can only speculate that that comment she made to her mother and about the lovely drink and her mother noting that Chris didn't want her to come on the phone and then when she came on the phone she sounded you know half sozzled is possibly pointing to that. Mm. Now I, I was going to ask earlier on about the incoming nobody, no parole um, mandate that will come into New South Wales, you would think. Do, do you feel as though, feel as though that Lynn's family will ever know where where her body is? But I really hope that something happens, that somebody stumbles on Lynn's bones or uh, there is a disclosure by Chris or someone very close to him about where she is. I doubt though that Chris will volunteer the information he's got an appeal process that no doubt he wants to uh, exhaust before he makes any disclosures whatsoever and even when that's exhausted if Chris has convinced himself that he hasn't done this he's never going to admit anything so tactically you know he should not he he's he would probably be thinking he should never say anything about where Lynn would be while he's still got the possibility of getting out either with appeal an appeal to the Supreme Court 
then to the Court of Appeal, then even possibly to the High Court. We know that Chris, you know, has thrown a lot of money at trying to avoid trial in the first place. He went to the High Court after going to the Supreme Court and Court of Appeal to try to get a permanent stay of the proceedings. That means to try to effectively cancel a murder trial altogether. And he argued that he couldn't get a fair trial because of the podcast, The Teacher's Pet, and that that failed. So he may, again, uh, use every appeal opportunity at his disposal, and that's his right. Mm. Um, as for whether, um, when that's at an end, he'll be able to, he'll reflect on what's happened and say something, um, I think it's unlikely. Now, you said that you'd never do another one after the teacher's pet. Now you've punched out Shandy's story and the night driver and the teacher's trial. Can I convince you to take on the Jaden Lesky murder, which is 25-year anniversary? <laughs> May you and I need to go and have a long lunch and you can brief me on, on how we can get into that. I'd like to do a podcast with you. I think, I think with your investigative skills and uh, we know you've got a great voice um, and uh, you, you are in, I can't remember which episode, but you're in uh, at least one of the episodes of The Teacher's Pet. Uh, I'd, I'd uh, team up with you. Yeah. As as many listeners may not know, I, they played a really positive part in my life, the, the Dawson brothers, at my, my time at Coomba when I was 17 years of age. They, they had played a really big part and role in my life and uh, had a really positive effect on me moving forward. So, yeah, it was, I was very distressed and upset and emotional when, when um, it all came to head, but also at some point disgusted as well. So I covered all emotions and Headley, we cannot thank you enough. It's absolutely yeah. fascinating listening to you um, to uh, to dissect that case once again for our listeners who are massive podcast fans and uh, teachers pet fans as well. So thank you very much for joining us on Sports Day. Thanks, Scott. I mean, I just wanted to also just say I thought that would have been difficult for you being interviewed in the teachers pet because so many people didn't have anything good to say about either Chris or Paul Dawson, and yet. They obviously had done some good things in their teaching careers. You know, the, the, it wasn't all one way, and no doubt a number of students were positively influenced by them. And I thought it was really decent of you to just say, "Well, look, I don't know about a murder, but this is what Chris and Paul Dawson were like for me as football mentors at Coomba Bar State High." And uh, you know, you were open-minded and and intellectually honest about their experience and your experience with them. And uh, I think that that helped round out a story that unfortunately, because of all the other circumstances, uh, was not attractive for either Dawson. This is Off The Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off The Bench NRL. Time for a racing update for Racing Queensland. Queensland is your place to race this year. Oh, and this guy has got the good oil on everything. You know that's That's a big weekend of racing uh, this weekend. Chris Nelson, I mean, a lot of the focus is on Sydney and Melbourne as they battle out yep. who's got the better race, whether it's the Caulfield Cup or whether it's the, um, uh, Everest. the Everest, the $15 million race. But, mate, what have we got going on in Queensland this weekend first? Well, we've got a big weekend of racing in Queensland. And one thing we can be sure of, Jace and Stats, is the fact that we'll be racing on a good track, whereas I can't say the same for those, uh, those other two venues. So Eagle Farm for us on Saturday, 
a good track. Uh, we also race at the Gold Coast. We race at uh, Rockhampton and we race at Toowoomba. They're the uh, TAB meetings. And, of course, Sunshine Coast races as usual on Sunday. I love the regional tracks. I just love them. Kilcoy. Yeah. Oh, What's I, your I favourite? My, well, my favourite is Toowoomba. T-Bar. Okay. Yeah, because you like the flowers. Okay. You go up there and check out the flowers. I just love Toowoomba, the place itself. And yeah, the... it's a good joint. What What about – has the get War... out to her. Sorry, Chris, has the Warwick Cupper – been run yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the Warwick Cupper was won by Wham. That'll bring back a bit of a memory for you. Wake me up before you go, go, Jase. Wham won the cup <laughs> after a good run in the week with a Toowoomba prior to that. So there you go. Sing us a bit, would you? No thanks. No, no. <laughs> I know what you're like. You'll you'll record that, and it'll be uh, in the uh, in the history books forever, and I'll never escape it. It'll go viral. Uh, Sunday, we're at the sunny coast. Yeah, Sunday at the Sunny Coast. Good meeting at the Sunny Coast. I've got one for you there in the fifth segment as well. You'll be pleased to know. Mm. Uh, but, of course, we have got a couple of interstate representation. Well, we do have interstate representation at Caulfield and at Ramwick over the weekend. We've got Star Tontes going around in the Silver Eagle. Of course, that race was held over from last Saturday at Ramwick when they had the washout. Mm. That's in race seven. And Palaya Pan, one of Chris Munster's uh, mares, goes around in race eight at Caulfield, the Tristark Stakes. That'll be... Your Chris Munster will be looking for his first ever winner in Melbourne as a trainer. Of course, he's won plenty of times as a jockey, including a Caulfield Cup and a Melbourne Cup, but not uh, not as a trainer. I hear on Saturday, uh, maybe you can confirm or deny this, that Nature Strip in the Everest is going to give the other horses a 30-second head start, stop for a <laughs> bath, a kebab and a cigarette and will still win. Can you Have you heard that as well? Oh, look, I don't know that he, might, he could give him that much start, Jason. I haven't heard that, but uh, I tell you what, if you want to back him, he's getting out to a pretty reasonable price. There are a few people, as there always are, that like to uh, put a knock on Nature Strip and say he can't win for various reasons. But you know what? When they get to the grand finals, the uh, the best team and the best horse generally wins, and oh, I think he'll win. He's make it two in a row, and I think it'll, I think it'll take his earnings to about... Ooh, 25 million or something. Jesus, like your sats. So, Barry, 12's not a concern? It is. It is a bit of a concern because there is speed drawn inside him. But the big plus there, you've got J-Mac on board. He'll just sum it up within a couple of hundred metres and you'll probably find Nature Strip will be outside the lead or sitting back third with a perfect run. He just doesn't ride too many bad races, J-Mac. And uh, I think Nature Strip will be winning again. Well, just keep an eye on private eye. I'm just saying that. Just saying. So what are the oh, tips for the weekend? Ba- no, what's that based on, Sats? It's based on that... Um, You're a Hall of Notes fan. I know that. Private eyes. <laughs> it's it's you... one of few in the field that likes a fast tempo. So, But it's going to na- be wet. Nature Strip will provide that. So private <laughs> well, eye will welcome the it. What you've got to worry about there, Sats, is that um, last week at Family, the races that they did run, they couldn't make any ground from the back. And then this time around, the rail's going back in. So you would think the ins will be the best. There you go. So making ground out deep Coming could out be a very difficult task. Barrier three. Uh, and it's only got three legs. I think that <laughs> might be a bit of a thing as well. All right, your tips, mate. All right, here we go. Uh, Eagle Farm, race six, number nine, Amity Gal to make it three in a row. I think she'll win. Race six, number nine. Uh, Toowoomba. i got one at Toowoomba. You'll like this, Sats, because mm. I believe it's a, a favourite track of yours. Race three, number one, Gaius. I think we'll run really well. A good winner last time out. And we'll go to the Sunshine Coast Sunday, race four, number 10, 
Alamira for Annabelle Neesham, I think, will win also. So they're my top three for the weekend. Right out, Queensland is racing. The action continues this week across the sunny state. Visit uh, racingqueensland.com.au. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. This is Off the Bench NRL. We'll be back soon.